You're listening to a Money on the Move weekly series, Flashback Fridays. We are bringing back our favorite episodes from the archives. Every Friday, I'll bring you a blast from our past. Do what is easy for you. Do not do what is difficult because you're going to compete with others who it's easy for. What's easy for you, you'll be a success. That was Patricia Field. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. So I am really looking forward to connecting you with my next guest. You may know her from her trend-setting style, her iconic New York City retail shop, her famous red hair, or her recent gallery pop-up at Art Basel in Miami. Today, I sync up with my longtime friend, Oscar-nominated, Emmy Award-winning stylist, the eponymous fashion designer and retail entrepreneur, Patricia Field. Her style savoir-faire has graced the screens of Sex in the City, Devil Wears Prada, Ugly Betty, and most recently, the hit TV Land series, Younger. Pat shares her story on where it all began. She offers listeners some sage career advice and shares for the first time on any interview her wellness rituals and beauty secrets. But before we get started... Today's episode is fueled by Sun Potion. I am such a huge fan of their super high quality tonic herbs, mushrooms, and superfoods. I started using these transformational foods and supplements around two years ago, and they have been serious game changers for my health, my energy levels, and even my sleep. Typically, I alternate between their Yin Power Potion and ashwagandha for all things balance, cordyceps if I'm feeling low energy and want to boost my workout, or chaga when my immune system is feeling taxed. I simply add it to my morning coffee or smoothie, and I'm on the move. Some Potion offers a variety of rejuvenating, restorative, and healing organic supplements and transformational foods. Head over to their website, sumpotion.com, and see for yourself. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Marnie on the Move on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Android. And of course, you can go to our website at MarnieOnTheMove.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter because we have some exciting announcements, deals, and giveaways. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. My first memory of you is when you had your store on 8th Street and my father's retail store was up the street. So we have that in common. Yes. Which, when you have something in common with someone, it's like you speak 
the same or a similar language. Yes. The communication, nothing has to be established. It's already established. Before I started my career, I came from somewhere, and my cabbage patch was quite fertile. Um, <laughs> so I was quite fortunate. I came from an entrepreneurial family, going back to my grandfather, and then the generation before me, my uncles, my mom, everybody was, they were here, they came from Greece at, you know, different ages, because there were 10 of them, aunts, uncles, my mom, and their father was an entrepreneur in Greece, and they learned it from him, and when they came here, you know, they had to make a living, and they interpreted it as, oh, I'm going to make a business. Right. And then I'm going to go get a job. So that's how I grew up, including my mother, who was a woman really ahead of her time. So when it was my time and I finished college and it was career time, I studied liberal arts. I didn't see anything. I loved what I studied because it was really interesting. You know, philosophy, government. I mean, it was, I liked my studies. I hadn't studied those things before. But there was nothing I really wanted to do with all of this information specifically attached to a career. Right. And I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, so I like kind of hung around a little bit for a few months. But I had worked before during the summer when I was going to college. I got a job. I got got my money, uh, took the money, went to Europe mm -hmm. my second summer in college. Where did you go to college? NYU. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I was ambitious, but I learned to be ambitious from an ambitious family. Right. That was normal for me. Right. I never saw myself, like, in a corporate situation in one of these jobs. So when I finished college, I hung around for a, couple, for a few months or so, and then I saw this classified ad for a department store a manager of a department, and it was this discount department store back in the day. It would be the, the today's equivalent would be Century 21. Mm -hmm. It was this discounted place. It was, what was it called? It was called Alexander's. It was like Lowman's. Uh-huh. Actually, they were located in the Bronx, very near each other. And then they grew, and they had a store on 59th Street. Mm -hmm. I remember that, near Bloomingdale's. Yeah, I was, but I was long gone from them. At that point. But anyway, I looked at the end. I said, I could do this. This is easy. I used to have little shops outside my family's home in Whitestone, you know, set up things and sell and whatever. I'm like, this is easy for me. And I tell, this is one thing if, for nothing else. Career-wise to people, do what is easy for you. Do not do what is difficult because you're going to compete with others who it's easy for. I would never be able to compete with a concert violinist. I don't know how to play the violin. Right. That's such good advice. Yes. What's easy for you, you'll be a success. But you have to know what's easy. You have to develop the consciousness of yourself. Which could take years. It depends on how much attention you give it. You're not just floating around here, you know what I mean? You have a life. You want to make that life rewarding and happy. That's your responsibility. Otherwise, what do you have? You go to a job and you hate the job and you don't 
your nine to five it and that is your life. That is not you don't put your hands in, you know, the control of others, but you have to pay attention to yourself. And part of it is also if you're not lucky enough to get it from your family, develop confidence in yourself. And cultivate that yeah, part of yourself. Yes. Have the confidence that you, you know what you like, what you're good at, and you have the confidence to go do it. Go do it. So when you were younger, so you that's liked what selling, happened to me. Yeah, so you liked selling clothing and you liked setting up the shops. That's For me, fashion family. was easy. Yeah. That was point one. Because from a kid, I was always like, you know, it was easy. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a fashionista or I wear ballerina dresses. It was just easy. I had ta- I had my own taste, my own style as a kid. That was number point one. The second point is I grew up in family business. You know, I used to help my mom. She was in the dry cleaning business. She had five, six stores. In the summer, her her staff, they would go on vacation. I was 13, 14 years old. I would go open up the store, take the clothes in, right. receive the clothes back, clean, get it organized. I used to check the inventory. I used to even check on the people that were working for my mother to see that, you know, there wasn't any <laughs> hanky-panky going on. But anyway, that was my that was normal. That was my normal. Yeah. I knew business. Right. And I knew fashion. So when I saw this ad, I was like, I could do this. It's easy. Yeah. And I did it. And I got the job and I did very well. In the course of three years, I worked for two companies. Mm -hmm. And I learned the retail and the market, you know, the whole business. And then after three years, I I was like 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I opened up my own store. I had a very small, like, inheritance from, because my dad passed away when I was seven. And so there was a little trust, very small trust fund that by the time I was like 23 became $4,000. And I know we laugh at it today. And then I had a partner Uh who was also my girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. And she she came from a family who had some money. So she brought her four, and I brought my four, and we opened up this business together in 1966. Amazing. Yeah. That's I, how it happened. And then I remember your 8th Street store. That's not your 8th Street store. Your 8th right. Street store was your second 1971. store. 1971. That was the year I was born. I was so serendipitous that we became friends. <laughs> That's true. Well, my first store was on Washington Place. I told you I went to NYU. Yes. So I knew the lay of the land. So when I went to open up the store, I had to find something that I could afford, but I knew that I could get customers. Right. And, um, you know, it was, you know, on the street and the buildings, the school buildings, Washington Square College, the main building, the whatever. And, you know, it's the kids passing by that. What I used to do, back and forth, go to this building, that building for a class. Uh-huh. So I knew that I had a young possibility of a clientele. Right. Because you were the clientele. Yeah. And I was able to, like, focus on this clientele and present to them what I thought they would like. And my, my partner and I did that. And in five years, we moved to 8th Street. When I moved to 8th Street, I'm like, 
I said to my partner, Joanne, I don't know. <laughs> this place is so big. <laughs> and it was such a big jump. Yeah. You had the downstairs, then you lived upstairs. Yeah. And then I opened up the second floor. Right. Because it used to be an electronic shop, hi-fi or whatever. And they left and I took it. But really, I thought it was so big and it was a little scary. You know, after a year, it was like, we need more room. That's such a good problem to have, right? Wonderful problem to have. Yeah. And so in the store, I remember you had great fashion, but you also had the um, beauty bar up front, right? You had we, Yeah, that developed. We developed the uh, makeup bar, the makeup counter. It was like progressive. It progressed. But we... When I first opened the store, it didn't have the makeup. Right. Then I met somebody who was very good and adept at not only artistry, but product, because we're selling product. Right. And so she really established my makeup department, which was fantastic. And then one of the kids that worked for me started went to beauty school on the side, and he loved wigs. And he, so I gave him a wig bar. You know, it was, it, it developed, is what I'm saying, from within. But, you know, because I was interested in it, and I was positive about it, and, you know, I participated with the people, the kids that worked for me. The kids that worked for you. Talk about the kids that worked for you, because this is a huge part of where you started with fashion. Well, for me, it was basically, I want to be around interesting people because it's so many hours a day. I want the stimulation from artistic, intelligent people. And I love that. Yes. To me, like intellectual stimulation, artistic stimulation, it has a huge value to me. You know, the people that I would hire... I hired the people that I found interesting. Mm -hmm. Visually, things that they said. You know, these are young kids that come from all over the country or whatever. Yeah. And they, you know, it's a little retail job. But the atmosphere was interesting and positive. And the, every the people the kids like being there as well as me. I like being there. It was the environment was you know rich. People say that you know I'm the mother of the drag queens or this. Or that. I, it wasn't about gay or homo or trannies or whatever. It was about if you're interesting, I want to be around you. And a lot of the gay and the, the, this whole segment of our society, you know, they have to try harder. Yes. And so, you know, what you get is a different quality of a person. Not that I'm saying the other people are no good, but it's a different descriptive, let's say, of the person. Right. They're on their own. Right. And they have to survive. And they have to know what they're good at and work it. Yeah. I saw recently a documentary about Christian Louboutin. Oh, yeah. Actually. That was good. I heard just last night, David Dalrymple, who I don't know if you know or not. He's somebody who I've worked with for yes. all these years. 
and we happen to be talking about this whole documentary uh, subject matter. And he brought up that Christian Baton thing. I hadn't seen it. I want to see it. Um, and he said that it was interesting the way they structured it. Like yeah. he went to, to what to bed or someplace to get shoes made. Yes. But then throughout that structure, then he would do like talk straight to the camera about yes. something. Or, it was really good. Yeah, I heard it was very It was good. like a lot of back and forth, like, but you could follow it. So sometimes when you're watching these documentaries, you they're know, boring. They, yeah, they're boring. They, he, they, they bring you in in the beginning. It's like exciting. I feel like there's some fashion, there's good music, there's like great yeah. sort of scenes. So, but there's no and he's content. an interesting person. So. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And I also, I mean, to me, I love the Valentino documentary. Documentary, but I also heard that the um, Manolo Blahnik one was good. Oh, I okay, I haven't it. seen that. I've been busy. I miss a lot of. Th- I miss. What are you much. busy doing these what days? Am I busy doing whatever I do. I have this. My new thing was when I sold my store. I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? Okay, I could do a movie, a TV show, but when uh, so I, I kind of at the time in my shop. I had a few artists that were painting clothing, mm-hmm. and my clients would come and tell me they loved the store. It was so interesting, and things are one of a kind, and they never know what to expect here. And the artist, the painted clothing, was doing very, very well. I said, well, maybe I'll make, uh, I'll convert my, my regular website, which I had things from my shop, mm-hmm. and I'll convert it to what I called art fashion. <laughs> and so yes. that's that was like, the, and still it's kind of my hobby. Right. Well, I feel like even- I'm doing it out of the interest and love. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to be whatever, some major gallerist. Although, I mean, if you were, you just it's did not a, my intent. It's just it's to enjoy myself yes. and, you know, do something that. I'm interested in, but you've which, always been interested God, in I art. Do. Yeah, I mean, didn't yeah. you have uh, well, like the yeah. first Andy Warhols in your store? Not when, Andy Warhol, Keith Haring, okay. uh, Jean Michel Basquiat. Andy Warhol was like earlier. Of course, I, I mean, I knew him, I met him, but I had very close relationship with Keith and Jean Michel and a few other artists. And I used to have paintings and murals in my shop. They would come in and paint the walls and I would hang their paintings. And it was part of the, the texture of my shop. I said, the art thing. <laughs> the dog is drinking the, the coffee. Dog is drinking the, she loves coffee. <laughs> By the way, there's a dog standing on yeah. the um, desk between Pat and I right now. And her which name is, is Sultana. Her name is Sultana and she's uh, a legendary princess poodle. And her sister is... Her sister, Butana. Butana. Who is more the princess. Oh, this really? Is the, Sultana is the adult in the room. Oh, really? Her name means sultaness. Oh. The wife of the sultan. Got it. Who was the king of the Ottoman Empire. She drinks coffee. She drinks coffee. Nice. American coffee. American. Italian she coffee. She literally... She doesn't drink Turkish coffee. I'm just taking a picture because this is like way too much. Oh, she's done. She's she's not, strong, she doesn't perform on command. If she would drink Turkish coffee, then I could turn the cup upside down and tell her her fortune. Her fortune. Can you do that? 
I learned it from my grandmother. I'm sure. Your grandmother was Turkish or Greek? No, but where my family came from was an island right off the coast of Turkey, actually where all of the Syrian refugees come by boat. It's the island of Lesbos, the island of Sappho. That island, you know, it's so close to Turkey. Yes. It, even the Greek that they speak, it it has these like sort of Turkish ending sounds and, you know, it's the mix of the cultures. Right. But it was Greece when the Ottoman Empire fell apart. I feel like you, in my history, in my uh, mental recollection, definitely know how to do all kinds of things that have nothing to do with fashion from, you know, speeding up A1A at 100 miles an hour to get us to the airport. <sighs> yeah. Well, so you still have your... Um, your pacer, what car do you have no. now? You don't have the Pacer anymore. I have a T Bird. But what has always been like car. your sort of like you've always had a thing with cars, right? Yes, I do. I What's have, your thing? My thing is I have to love my car. I don't just buy a car for some kind of convenience or you know practicality. I have to love my car, and that's why I don't. I keep my cars for a while because I love them. You know, and I, I when am I, I'm not going to, I can't replace them. I love them. So. So what car do you have Until they now? finally give it. I have a little T-Bird 2002, a sports model that was made for five years between 2000 and 2005. It's kind of like a little bit of a retro design. Mm -hmm. Kind of a cross between the old Lincoln Continental type of look. Not so much the old T-Bird look. More like the Lincoln Continental look, more like I love my car. It's sitting in the garage, very happy and warm in the snow. I was going to say, where do you keep it? I know right you drive. Do you drive? Do you still drive everywhere? I, I use my car a lot. I drive like a lot of my work, my film work and TV work is in Silver Cup Studios in mm -hmm. Long Island City. I drive over the Williamsburg Bridge and over there. I drive it at night too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I no longer drive midtown because it's so congested. It's easier to take a subway. Yeah. I, I don't even take a taxi because it's just such traffic and congestion going on right now in New York City. And then do you still have your a car in Florida too? No, no. My car, I had a beautiful big convertible car in Florida, an Oldsmobile, um, early 70s. But it was just sitting there in the parking lot getting rusty and pieces were falling all over. I said, okay, I got to get rid of it. And now you were just in Florida, right? I for was for bit? Art Basel. So what'd you do at well, Art Basel? I exhibited my art fashion. I represent about, I don't know, 10 artists. Who are they? Well, among them is Scooter LaForge, who is basically, he, he was one of the artists that was in my store mm -hmm. at the time. He's definitely built his name basically with his number one artistic talent, his originality, and his attitude is very good. It's like he wants his work around on mm -hmm. people, and that's what was happening in the store. And his prices were very affordable for young people who wanted, to, who thought this thing, this stuff was cool. Yeah. And so, you know, they were wearing his T-shirts and his shirts and his jackets. And he was getting recognized. 
So he is one of my primer artists. Also, Jody Morlock, who used to work in my store. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you, I don't know that you know her, but you could check her out on my I can, uh, I'm gonna website. I'm going to put show notes. Mm-hmm. I'll list them all in the show notes for my website. For yeah. The post. Or, you know, they could list my website. They could okay. go take a look. Perfect. And she is also from Florida. She grew up in Hialeah. Uh-huh. She came as like, I don't know, 18 years old, 19 years old. And she came and she worked in my store. That was in, I don't know when, the late 70s. She developed herself as a, a, a painter. But at the same time, her bread and butter is she does a beauty grooming for before John Stewart. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Daily Show, and then it then John Stewart left, and this um, Noah took over, and she stayed. So she, you know, her professional bread and butter life mm-hmm. is that she's you know in uh, beauty grooming, and now she's got a new show on Comedy Central, but I don't remember the name of. Uh, the star of this show. So here it is. So whatever, I don't know, 40 years later. Yeah. And I call her up and I go, or I don't, I don't remember how it happened. She's like, I, well, I said, I'm going to do this art fashion thing. She says, I want to do it. I want you to be my Peggy Guggenheim. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad you want me to do it. Come on, Let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a number of artists that have come to me through the past, uh-huh. like um, Suzanne Pitt, mm-hmm. whose raincoats I used to have in my store painted raincoats. I don't know if you remember, but there were these big sculptures that looked like uh, there was one of a guy smoking, but they were flat sculptures like on plywood, and... I kind of used them as room dividers because mm-hmm. they were big. And one that was like um, an ode to uh, Lempika. Mm-hmm. So I called her up. So I called a few from the past. Uh-huh. And then the new ones like Scooter is, you know. He's new. Yeah, yeah. And others. And so this was your second year doing your pop-up gallery at Art Basel? At Art Basel because we went last year. It was good, and fortunately, I found the right location. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I put my name on the wall mm-hmm. because people know it, and yes. I'm here to promote the artists, right? So let me tell people walking around, and there's a lot of people walking around. What's in this place? What neighborhood is it in? Winwood. Winwood. Got it. Yeah, that's exciting. So, do you think that's like? the next frontier for you as a well, designer? I don't know. And- it's about a frontier. As far as I'm concerned, after I started this, because as I say, I had the experience and I knew it. And when I was listening to right. my customers, my mind is clicking, saying it's back. The days of Keith Herring and so on. It's like Jean-Michel used to paint in my store sweatshirts that we used to sell for $18. It's insane. But anyway, the point was I lived through it the first time. Uh-huh. And when I saw it, it came around again, I jumped it. Right. 
And I started a trend because now wherever you go, Gucci's got painted clothes, Prada's got painted bags, everybody's painting like crazy. Are you seeing it everywhere? Because usually you're so ahead of the curve. Yeah, in terms I'm of like it everywhere. trends that. Yeah, I, well, unfortunately, you know, that's the thing about trends. I mean, I don't really like trends right. because they have a short lifespan. But you started yeah, some started. huge fashion trends with when you worked on Sex in the City. No, no, I started Before a lot that, of trends. Yeah. But they, have a, they don't have a long lifespan. So when the lifespan is over the trend is, and the trend is over, it's over. Right. And so, you know, once it reaches a saturation point where it's going to be in whatever, Zara painted clothing. Right. It's over. Yeah. But so this is something that... Um, and then something else pops up. But you're not someone who follows the trends. You're a pioneer. I, so you're I, a visionary. And it's not well, a trend when you think of it. Because I'm, I, I do... What I do, I do out of my own originality. Right. Out of my own brain. I don't go, oh, that's happening now. Right. I want to get on the bandwagon. You know, I'm one individual in a, with my retail shop, a small retail shop. I mean, you know, it's a good size, but it's not, you know, a chain store, and I don't want it to be. So, um, you know, I, I, originality is what's the most important. Right. So whatever it is, if I'm doing costume design, mm-hmm. it's got to be my what I believe in. And, of course, you know, there's an actor and there's a script, so you... It's important to combine them into something that makes sense to the audience. Speaking of costume design, what's it like to be nominated for an Oscar as a costume designer and be in the company of some of your favorite costume designers? Yeah, the nomination was a surprise, and it was very positive. I was very happy to get such a nomination. It was good. I mean, I didn't win, but I didn't expect to win because... Uh, the custom in the costume design world is that the Oscar always goes to either a historical movie or a costume movie. Like I did win my first Emmy was a costume movie. Right. 80, 1989. Cause you know, that's, I don't know. That's what the convention is. Let's say. So I was very happy to be nominated, but one of the most, one of my most respected costume designers, one she, uh, her name is Melina Cananero. She designed uh, Marie Antoinette, and she did a gorgeous job. So you know, I I was totally satisfied with the fact she was sitting right behind me uh, at the at the Oscars, and um, so you know, I I did not go in there expecting to win because I knew that contemporary doesn't make it. I mean, I'm not saying it's correct, but I mean, I'm like I mentioned, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. That should have won an Oscar back in the '60s when it was made. You know, it's still alive, and it's magnificent. Yes. And Edith Head was the designer. That, but there's, it's not, you know, it's not the convention. Contemporary. So back in that day, that was contemporary. Today, it's a classic. Right. What did you love most about what the costume designer did? Oh, you mean Melina? Yeah, talk about Melina. Yeah, you had some. Well, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie, but she combined, she gave it a new breath of fresh air. 
she, in the colors and fabrics that she chose, they were much more, the colors were much more alive. Because in the Marie Antoinette days, if you do it literally, which you can, the colors were sort of pale. Not, I don't even want to say pastel, but they were sort of pale like beige satins and not bright, the opposite of bright. And she injected color while keeping the silhouettes. And I think that it made the young generation understand more about Marie Antoinette because they were looking at something that they understood other than, you know, straight history. Right. Sort of like Hamilton. <laughs> yes. that's a, Hamilton is a great example of making a successful hybrid for the now people. Right. It was great. I loved that. That was my, the last great other than trinkets because that was a whole different. Right. But I saw Hamilton, uh, when it was at the Joseph Papp before right. it went to Broadway. And um, that was, was the last big production that I saw that I loved. Yeah, that was a great production. I loved it. Um, speaking of production. It was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I really you know, making it history like fun. Yeah, and relatable. I love history. Yes. And to see it presented that way, it was really wonderful. Now, we are um, in your new apartment. I feel like your apartments are equally a reflection of your art, your design, and your style. Absolutely. You, it's always an expression. I mean, it's beautiful. So of did you... I feel. Yeah. But this is a totally different expression. Yes. You were in my Bowery space. I've been, in, I've been in all of your apartments, as far as I know. I've been in your Miami apartment, which... Uh-huh. It definitely is beautiful. It's a lot like this apartment. It is. It's, it's a lot like this. It's the same size. Yes. Uh, there are certain design elements that it's not the same, but, you know, it's the same author. And then I was in your 8th Street store, which when you talk about breakfast at Tiffany's, I feel like I've been to a couple parties oh, my there. loft on the top yes. floor. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was telling someone the other day about your old apartment on 8th Street because I was trying to explain, like, you know, there's so much to talk about, right? I mean, and for me, it's almost like I'm reminiscing, but at the same time, I mean, for me, it's like a huge part of my, like, young adulthood living in New York City, going to school here at Parsons, and, um, you know, also, like, being part of that scene. Like, I used to go to Mars and the Red Zone and the Palladium and all those places, and my parents had a store on 14th Street. Right. So for me, I like to... Now, looking yeah, you at today, up, I don't go out anymore. Up so. New York City. Yeah. That's how I grew up, New York City. So like going to your, I feel like I went to a party at your apartment and it really was like straight out of a scene from Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> how so? In the sense that everybody, like, it was just like this like fashion centric uh, uh, room of okay. artists and club kids and socialites for, I mean, maybe not socialites yeah, like Upper East there, Side, there but it was socialites of like the social club scene yeah. in New York City. Yeah. And um, everybody was drinking and smoking and partying and like, you know, hanging out in what was your bedroom at the time to, it was part of the party. It was like, yeah, you know, the, back and yeah. there was no like delineation of space. It was one big room. room. Yeah. And then downstairs was your store. Exactly. Do you 
have certain designers that you work with or you just work with when you're designing your apartments and your spaces? Like, do you have a lot to do with the design? I, I participate quite a bit. I have a friend whose work I really respect. His name is Benjamin Noriega. Actually, he helped me a great deal in designing the Bowery space. Right. Meaning the details, like how does this wall meet this wall? I mean, you know, but in addition to that skill and the fact that he could, anything that you say, he could draw it. And then in addition to that, one of the things that I just love about it, I always watch him drawing because it's amazing how he could just like write it, put it all down in a diagram. But the other thing that I love about him is like he, his aesthetics are, he has a sense of humor. Uh-huh. He has a lightness about him that I appreciate. Right. So, you know, we have sort of become friends. Actually, his boyfriend is... Uh, we represent his boyfriend who is a sculptor and does this jewelry. Not like typical jewelry, like out of denim and pearls and like neck pieces. Really beautiful. And so that is a long-lasting relationship. Actually, when I bought my place in Rockaway, I told them about it and they came and they liked it. So they bought a place. <sighs> That's right so funny. Down, you know, the next block over, right? So, you know, our relationship continued and still continues. And so I feel like your apartments are somewhat of a combination of like a gallery with like really cool art, sculptures, some fun, eccentric pieces that could be from a showroom. Right. Actually, there are a few of those showroom pieces, mainly those um, mirror panels. You've had that they for a long time. from Fendi. Oh, no, those are different. And I had them in the Bowery. And okay. I loved them, and I took them with me here. They separated my bedroom from, you know, the living space. And But you nailed it, because that's Fendi. And then uh, Roberto Cavalli, they were moving their showroom, and that's what was happening with Fendi. It was like, I know you love all, because I would go in there and say, oh, I love those Ottomans. Right. You know, they're Cobra. We're moving him. We don't need him. You want him? Take him. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, yes, there is definitely that touch of from showrooms, but, you know, really special pieces. Speaking of... That uh, people were very generous to me and said, yeah, we don't need it anymore. Take it. It's beautiful. Yeah. One of the things I love about all of your apartments that I think is a very central... It seems like it's a very central component is your bedroom and your bathroom what and you, how all of them together. Yeah. yeah. Like, so this leads me to my next topic, which is how, how much you love taking baths. And this oh. is something about you that I don't know if everybody knows this. You know what? I learned to take baths when I was in my early thirties. I think it was, I would just take showers. When I was in my early thirties, I was having back problems. I would like, have no strength in my lower back. I couldn't so much as pick up this microphone. Wow. And I had a friend who was a doctor um, at the Rusk Institute, which is uh, physical medicine. Mm -hmm. Physical medicine is an area of medicine that people, for example, who are in an accident or have strokes, they rebuild you. It's not medical. It's not medicine. It's not chemical. Right. They 
examine you and they see where your problem is and then they you strengthen through exercise that they designed for you. It was really good. And part of it was take a hot bath because a hot bath, it relaxes your muscles and right. improves your circulation. As, you know, and so all of those are um, remedies. Right. And so I did it. And, you know, and I, they designed some exercises for me that I did. And after a few months, the problem was gone. I was like, and I, and in the process, I learned to enjoy the bath. And in the process, I learned to understand to put oil in the bath and bath salts, you know, to make this bath. Uh, you know, it was something I learned as I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to this day, every morning I take a hot bath. Otherwise, you know, I feel like then I'm ready to go. Right. And um, and also another great thing about the bath, if you put oils in the bath and salt, the oil for your skin is the best thing. So if you take a bath in oil every day, you know, 30 years later, you have good skin. That's a good beauty secret. Yes, it's a beauty secret. But I learned it. I didn't. When I did it, I didn't know about this. I just right. did what they told me to do. Right. But then, I, you know, after a while, I started to understand it and appreciate it. And now do you, now it just really I helps mean, you I mean, look relax. at my arms. Yes. They're good. I, anybody yeah. my age, I'm 75. Yeah. You have great skin. Uh, it's very nice skin. Yeah. That's the bath. Yeah, I thought it was Greek. So everybody <laughs> get in that tub. That's a good. good and relax. And if you like it in the evening, pour yourself a glass of wine. In the morning, I pour myself a cup of coffee. Enjoy the bath. It, you will be very happy in your life because of it. And Whoever's um, listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mother. I'm kidding. Mom. No. Um, so, like, speaking of, like, you know, non-fashion-related things, swimming. Uh, so, did you... Um, I feel like there has to be some segue between the baths and swimming water. Well, you know, I, I like to swim. The reason that I what? swim or I know how to swim, my mother used to say this story because we used to have a, a bungalow up in Connecticut off of a lake. And she tells the story that she turned around and I wasn't there anymore. And she ran into the water and she pulled me out. And after that, she was going to because she swam. So she taught me how to swim when I was little. Right. And so I always knew how to swim. And I like to swim because I know how and it's easy for me to swim because I've been, you know, swimming since I'm a kid. It's, I kind of think of it as my exercise. That, that's the, if I'm going to do any exercise, it's going to be swimming. And then do you now, I mean, you're so busy. Do you get to swim very often? Well, or? I start because there's a pool not far from where I live. And I started to go there on a regular basis. But then I don't remember what it was. I got really busy. I got too involved. And I I didn't go. And then day after day, I didn't go. And I'm still in that condition, but I want to get back to That's it. That's why it's I'm like here. Two I'm dragging you me. back to the pool. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like a fancy place. But, you know, it's a an Olympic-sized pool. It's two blocks from here. And it's fine. Do you feel like... Um, I mean, I feel like you it's run not around a country a lot. club. No, most I don't really think that 
a yeah, lot but of you know how these yeah. places are. Yeah. Well, my gym is like the closest, I think, to a country club in yeah. New York City. <laughs> but uh, it's still not a country club because it's like polar plunge every time I go to swim. Uh, Do you like the pool to be really cold? No. Warm. I prefer a I don't like the shock of the cold. No. So I prefer it to be, you know, not freezing. Do you, I feel like you have, you're always on the move, like running around, like going to appointments, going to meetings or being on a set. So that kind of feels like exercise in and of itself. It is. That's why now after I've sold my store, I continue to um, be, uh, stay active in the film and TV area because I really, you know, it's so important that you stay active and you stay inspired and motivated. Otherwise, you kind of dry up. What am I going to do? Sit here and do nothing? That right. would be impossible for me. Right. Yeah. So my art fashion, I continue to do, you know, costume work and TV. I have some possibilities of a documentary and a book, but uh, it's not concrete yet. Right. And you're moving away from concrete. Exactly. I have, <laughs> it has to be, whatever I do, I have to believe in it. Right. And so I have yet to find a project that makes complete sense to me, uh, like as far as a book or a document, that expresses who I am. The problem is like, that you know, is that professional writers, professional movie producers, direct. they're professional in what they do, but they don't know me. Right. And, you know, they go off on something that they think is me. And I'm like, no, that's not me. Forget it. Goodbye. I feel like you, this has been going on for years, though. Yeah, it's been going There's on. There's a lot of people that have approached you because even when we I were know. talking a while back. I don't want to be in that condition, but I'm not going to do something I don't believe in. It's not, not the way I operate. You should do a book that is an amalgamation of everything you love. Like, not a book about you, but like art. I need my friend yeah. Paul Alexander to write the documentary. That's, you need to, I'm sure you, know what I mean? you were in touch because with him. he knows everything. Right. He was there. It's going to happen, I hope. At some point, yeah. At some point. So you think you're going to do your pop-up next year again in Art Basel? I hope so, yeah. Would you do more art? Like, would you do something in New York, too? Oh, yeah. We've done quite a bit, you know, actually. Well, we have, I have a gallery studio right here on the Lower East Side on right. East Broadway that is brand new that I I rented um, and I renovated. But the problem was the minute the reservation was over, which it was past the schedule, then came um, in the summer we went to Greece to Mykonos and we had an exhibition and fashion show in this um, resort. Mm -hmm. So then we came back and so we took everything out of the gallery mm -hmm. before we moved in and we moved out. Then after that came a similar situation up in the Catskills. Okay. Near Hudson. Uh-huh. At this beautiful garage that was renovated, big, huge one. And a friend of mine, Michelle Saunders, who lives up there, arranged it and participated yeah. in it. 
And I had a lot of support from the local people. It's kind of like the alternative to the Hamptons. Yes, yes. And then we finished that one, and we went down to Miami for our Basel. Right. So, long story short, I want to make a party, you know, to welcome everybody into the gallery. Uh Uh-huh. I could combine it with my birthday. We'll see. You know, six weeks away, right? February twelfth. How do you remember? Because I, because oh, that's one thing same. I remember. I don't know. I just remember everyone's okay. birthdays that's and signs. Because cool. I don't. Yeah. But you remembered it. I know you're an Aquarius. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. This was awesome. I think, like, thank you and so. What are you, an Aries? What Sultana's and Aries? I don't know. When is H? They were born April? at the end of a- end of April. Ooh, she could be a Taurus. A Taurus. End of April. She could be like April 25th, 26th. Let me see. Yeah, somewhere in there. End of April. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, and more. Also, sign up for our newsletter. Just scroll down to the bottom of the site, to the bottom of the website, and hit sign up because we are gearing up for some really big, exciting announcements, deals, and giveaways. Thanks again for tuning in.